you've come to the right place if you're looking to create, launch, and scale a high-value online training program. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of Lifter LMS, the most powerful learning management system for WordPress. Stay to the end. I've got something special for you. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. I'm joined by a special guest. Her name is Holly Chantel. That's at hollychantel.com. We're going to get into a bunch of ways to improve your online course, your online learning business. Welcome to the show, Holly. Hey, thank you for having me. You see yourself as a business integration um, coach. Tell us, tell us what that means. So integration is. Um, a little goes a little bit deeper than implementation. So implementation is kind of just the doing of things. And integration is really deeply layering new ideas, new strategies into your business so that you can create the result you want. So the way I work with clients is looking at what their goal is, what their vision is, and then we reverse engineer it and then move forward with integrating piece by piece rather than... Um, you know, having a to-do list or a checklist, like it's, it, it's just a, a little bit deeper. It, it develops habits and lasting results versus kind of like a flash in the pan. They get one result once and then have to do it again. The way we work is because we put the, the we've deeply layered and, and uh, built as we went, whatever result we created can then be repeated and repeated and repeated because all the systems are there and they've built the habits, the language, everything. So who do you help? Who's like your ideal person that you love to work with and get great results with? I really love working with coaches. I have always been called to work with coaches when I first started back in 2009 uh, because they typically have one really interesting story and a really interesting point of view that I like to, to learn about. And they're also very mission driven. So I figure if I impact them and help them serve more people, then it's kind of also increasing my impact. Um, Cause I, I don't have that like huge message or inspiration piece. So I work behind the scene <laughs> so that they can do what they do best. You've got uh, on your website, um, the buyer's arc marketing guide. Tell us yep. about that. Yeah. So the buyer's arc is um, this will be really useful for your course creators. It, Cause it's, it's really the, the decision-making process that people go through when they're making a decision to buy a course, a coaching program, um, take out on Friday, a house, anything. And once you understand what that arc looks like, it's very, it, we can, again, then reverse engineer your marketing campaigns and your website and any, anything that you're using to sell to satisfy those different points along the arc. So what you're doing essentially is just empowering people with the right information at the right times so they can decide if your course is going to be the best next step for them. Um, and it's interesting because the, the questions people ask themselves aren't always what you expect or can't be like, they don't ask the questions. Sometimes they really show up as their, their fear, anxiety, um, their own like emotions, and they don't realize that they're actually questions. Um, so for example, um, toward the end of the buyer's arc when someone's actually deciding to commit, the things that are holding them back are not 
typically price. It's typically, is there something I should be doing before this? Uh, is this the best next step for me? Could I do this in a different way? Do I like the approach that this person's taking? So they're asking themselves all of those questions kind of unconsciously, but what they'll say to you is, I can't afford it. I need to think about it, those kinds of things. And so that's why we, we feel like everything's revolving around price. But the reality is if they were completely confident that this is the best next step, this is gonna get them what they want, the price becomes a small, small piece of the puzzle. That's awesome. So that's at hollychantel.com. Go look for the buyer's arc there. Um, what else, like what, what else, I know you do a lot with messaging. Like how, where does the messaging work begin? Like for a coach or an expert that's, all right, I'm moving in this direction. I keep hearing online, I need to have my million dollar message or whatever. Like, where does that work begin? So it begins at the beginning and, <laughs> and the, the, so that's the good news is that like starting with messaging is going to set you up for success. Is that the like the is first, it never ends. <laughs> is that like the first step? Like if we're, yeah, like, if we're new, so, we're like I'm going to do it. I'm called to be a coach, course creator, expert, whatever. I, I should start with messaging. Right. You can't just come yeah. out and say, I'm a coach or I'm selling this widget because no one will listen to you. No one will hear you because there's so many other people in the space that are marketing to them. Um, they sometimes don't even know what, that they're looking for a coach or a course or anything like that. Um, so, so it starts in the beginning, really understanding who, who it is that you're looking for, who those ideal clients are. And then creating messaging around your offer and how it's how it's going to take them from the point A of where they are now to the point B of exactly where they want to be. And you'd be surprised. Coaches think that you have to like cram so much into that to create value. If you move them one step closer to their goal or eliminate one obstacle, it's highly valuable. And the more specialized and, and detailed you can get in that step, it's going to be easier for them to see that that's, that's the solution. Um, so I was saying that, you know, it starts in the beginning, but your messaging is a iterative process. So you're never going to feel satisfied that your message is done, buttoned up. I can move on now. And that's, that's something that uh, I think a lot of business owners don't realize. And they feel like a failure because they're like, well, what I'm doing, I, it, I describe it differently every single time. Or um, I, I just feel like I'm constantly figuring things out. And, and the reality is that's, that's the reality of business because you are consistently continually growing, evolving, adding skills, adding points of view, getting experience with clients, seeing what challenges they're having and your messaging and how you talk about your work evolves at the same time. And the key here is you need to keep your message and your audience match. Like they have to stay aligned because over time, what will sometimes happen is your offers and what, what you're doing will start outpacing the audience. So the examples you're giving, um, the stories that you're sharing, the topics that you're talking about when you started worked out really well and we're attracting the right people. But as you've evolved, you have evolved, if you're still talking about those same topics, you're going to attract the audience that's back here, not the ones that are ready for your services now. Wow, that's, that's really cool. Is that, um, that kind of like, if you're going to market to beginners, let's say, like you might actually kind of like your people, then you move forward with them and now you're doing intermediate stuff. Now you're doing advanced stuff and you've abandoned the beginners. 
but maybe that's where all the opportunity is or should you track with them or tell us more about that disconnect between audience and message yeah so it's kind of like what you just said and um and and yeah so you start like most people when they're starting mm -hmm. out they don't feel confident enough to work with people that are further along in their journey even if they themselves have a lot of experience they haven't coached before or taken someone through a process so they they're a little bit hesitant to to jump right in so they'll start working with people that are more at the beginning stages um and and i, I feel like a good rule of thumb is to target folks that are about two years behind you in your journey because that gives you enough experience and and lead time essentially solving these problems that um, you're still your message stays relevant. So what happens is, let's say we're targeting people that are at the beginning stages of their business, and then you know a few years later, those people, you, the people that you've worked with, have evolved. You have evolved. You've taken courses. You've worked with coaches. You've grown your own business. You have a lot more to offer now. But if you're you're and, and you probably has raised raised your prices along the way. Now you have more sophisticated services. You're doing more detailed work, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're still using the campaigns, the topics, the stories, et cetera, that you're using when you started that speak to the beginners, you're going to continue to attract people that can't afford you now. And that's that's what I find happens. I actually haven't talked to someone that it hasn't happened to, so I'm going to say 100% of the time <laughs> with, with a totally made up statistic there. Uh, every coach reaches a point where their business is stops growing and they're not really sure why they think it's that they need to um, they need to market more. They need to bring new strategies in, et cetera, et cetera. And so what will happen is they'll hit this upper limit in their business and then at, they'll hit that upper limit and they'll actually start their revenue will start to decline. And then they'll do a big push and it'll go back up to that upper limit and then it'll start to decline. And you'll find, and I've talked to a few people that this, that have gone through this, they'll find that over the like two, three years, their, their top line has actually started to decline and they start to feel like maybe, maybe this was, that was it. They got really lucky. And now, um, you know, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not supposed to do this anymore. Maybe I need to get a job, et cetera. But probably most likely what happened is there's a message to market match between what you want to be doing even and the people that you're currently attracting. So you start to outgrow your business. And if we can bring those things back into alignment, you'll be back off to the races. Um, because what you have is still valuable. It's just, there's a mismatch in how you're talking about it. That's awesome. I know another way you help people is with like mapping their method of how they solve the problem. And it, for course creators and coaches, sometimes it's called instructional design or teaching methodology or framework. How does, how does an expert, let's say, who does not have any background in teaching or coaching, I see this as a big blocker for people. How do people like create that method, that signature program method that actually works. Right. So I, I like that you're, you're, you're framing this as like coming from like instructional design, because that, uh, that's a really smart way to do it. I don't think a lot of, I don't think everyone thinks of it that way. When so, most, what I have found is that when most coaches are planning on writing a course, they start thinking about what topics they can write about and less about the progression of the student. And it's, it's really just, a, just, they just don't have experience looking at it that way. Um, so this is where integrate, like that layers and integration um, analogy kind of makes sense. 
So what you need to keep in mind is as you are building out your course, is understanding where your student is in their level of knowledge, their experience, et cetera, and then adding one, one layer at a time. So not jumping from topic to topic so that you have a lot of different topics in your course, but like I said, maybe focusing in on one aspect and going really deep into that aspect and making sure that they're developing the skills along with the, um, just the ability to implement. And so when I'm helping my people map out what their method looks like, what we're looking at is, okay, what is the uh, starting point that someone's at? Like what, um, where are they starting from skills, experience, how long have they been, how long have they been trying to solve this from? What have they tried before? Um, what hasn't worked? Why hasn't it worked? So we, we really dig deep into like who this program is the best fit for. And then we look at what, where, where do they want to go? And since you have all that like rich detail in who it is you're looking for, you know what they've tried before, probably where their, their sense of skepticism might be coming from, their hesitations. Um, and you also know what they have going for them at that point so that you can design the course to really satisfy um, their specific needs. Um, so that's, so once you have the point A and point B, then it's just a matter of reverse engineering or like um, taking that point B and kind of taking steps back and how do we get there? And that becomes the trajectory of your course. All right. When do we integrate in branding? I know you have the, the branding game and I see a lot of yep. people start with branding as they understand it with logos and colors and maybe throw up a website, but when does branding come into the mix? If you could have it your way and have the, we're yeah. able to shape somebody. So it, it really depends. Um, so I have, there's kind of like two different paths you can go. The branding game is geared towards people that are starting out and they need to get their ducks in a row and build that foundation so that they can have an effective website, be able to market some, be able to sell. So if you're starting out, I find that a lot of coaches, course creators, they feel like they need a brand, like a website logo and um, their, their offer, all of those things before they feel official enough that they actually have a business and start marketing. So the branding game is really about um, experimenting with those different pieces and finding where you fit so that you can create a solid foundation to grow from. In an ideal world, if I'm working with someone that has an established business, they, don't, they might not necessarily have a brand because a lot of coaches work by referral. And it's when they need to move online and start expanding their reach that that's when branding and messaging really become important. Because when you're working on referral, you have an opportunity just to have a two-way conversation with whoever's coming to you and you can really tailor what you're saying to them. When you're marketing online, it's a one-way conversation. You have to make sure that what you're saying is very intentional about who you want to attract. And so in an ideal world, what I would have a client do is test their course idea with a few hand raiser emails or Facebook, Facebook posts, just to see test interest and see, you know, is this something, is this a viable idea? Is this what people want? And even start selling it before you redo your website, write a sales page, like invest in launching the program. Um, because you get a lot of information when you're doing that testing about what, 
what promises land, what are what hesitations are people coming to you with? Um, you know, does the method make sense to people? Are they having a lot of questions about it? You get a lot of information that would go into creating the website, the the brand, the even naming the program, that kind of thing. And and so if you can test and sell before you actually, you know, make it all pretty and packaged, um, that that would that's really the ideal. So the branding game on your website is a course, is that right? Yes. Um, it has some coaching with me. So I do like bi-weekly Q&A calls, but it is it is a course. I'm just looking at the content. It's so good. I'm like, well, which one of these are we going to talk about right here? Um, let's talk about brand persona a little bit. That's yep. something that people don't always think about. Tell us, tell us your take on brand persona, what it is and, and how we should, how we can create one. Right. So as um, generally we're starting off as solopreneurs, you are the business. And so your persona really matters in how you're marketing yourself. And some people are more introverted. Some people are just naturally, here I am. <laughs> I'm going to tell you all about me, that kind of thing. Um, so there's kind of different levels of personality in a business. And the persona is, we approach it from a couple of different ways. One, we actually approach it in three different ways. Um, let me give you the second two. Sorry. <laughs> you caught me off guard with this question. I can, get, I can really nerd out about this stuff, so I can be careful. <laughs> So the persona is first, what aspects of your personality come out with different people in your lives? Because you'll notice that you behave differently if you're with your children than if you're with your parents, if you're with a client versus a, so a supervisor, um, a friend versus a relative, like there's different aspects of your personality that come out with those different people. And it starts creating this self-awareness for how you show up. And then you can make really intentional decisions about how do you want to show up in your business? Because, you know, do I share my political views? Well, it kind of depends on what type of persona you want to create. How do you want people to view your brand? Is your political views important to your clients? If not, then, you know, you don't have to share those things. And so we, we look at it from that aspect. And then the other aspect is archetypes. So there's 12 different archetypes. Um, these are based on young psychology. And I find that the archetype kind of gives you a character to play in your business. And what this does is it drives um, the graphics and the style of your website and your logos if you're having photos done. Um, it drives the voice that you're using in your writing, um, how, like, even how you're dressing and what your headshots look like. Like when you know how you want to show up, all of those decisions become very easily and you know what to ask for, which I used to, I got my start, when I started my business, I was doing website design. And that was like the number one thing was that people would come and they'd have no idea what to ask for. <laughs> it was just kind of like, I'll know it when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> and we just kind of had to pull rabbits out of a hat. So that's why I started developing these modules. Actually, that's what the branding game came from is getting you to a point where it's like, you know exactly what you want, how you want to show up, what to say, all of those things so that you can build your website. I just want to list them out. I was just pulling up some of the Jungian archetypes. We've got the innocent, the sage, the explorer, the outlaw, the magician, the hero, the lover, the jester, the everyman, the caregiver, the ruler, and the artist. So using one of those as an example, um, 
perhaps with you or with one of your clients, like what's an example of embodying one of these archetypes to really focus our brand persona? So what's interesting about each archetype is that there is the attractive part and then there's the shadow. So innocent, as you were talking, just kind of like lit up for me Um, because innocent is, uh, I, I find that a lot of, a lot of coaches tend to fall into that one naturally. Um, and then we need to massage it a little bit so that they don't seem too innocent. And the reason is the innocent is the one that is viewing the world through rose colored lens. And they're so a lot of coaches, like they're so far ahead of their clients that they're just talking about this world where they are, um, you know, living their best life. They're energized. They're, they're uh, so healthy and, vi- and, and and vibrant and vigorous and and all these things, and they they are very inspirational themselves. But their clients are are um, they're not there. It's like they the the coach is the butterfly and the clients are the caterpillars, and they're not speaking the same language. So what happens is is that their clients don't. Um, don't resonate because they can't see what the coach is saying as possible. So that's the shadow is like, you can be inspirational and talk about all the amazing things because you've gone through that journey and you may have helped other people go through that journey. But unless you can put it into caterpillar speak, they're going to think you're just blowing smoke and making promises when you don't know their specific situation. And how could you like, how am I supposed to do all those things when I have all these obstacles in front of me? So that's like, that's where we have to balance the archetypes. Um, but they can be, they can be really cool. And it's a neat tool to kind of play with. Um, and I usually find that when people come in, go through the branding game, um, a, a natural archetype just emerges for each of them. And then we get to play it and massage it and just make sure that they're balancing out that shadow so that they are um, not not shooting themselves in the foot and making sure that they're speaking the language that their clients are going to use. So it gives them a guide about how they want to show up, but also, you know, the pieces that they need to use in their messaging to balance it out. Love that. One more thing before we move off brand persona is a lot of course creators and coaches struggle with imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. How can brand persona help us show up better or get through that barrier? So imposter syndrome, yeah, it's a, it's a beast. And I feel like it's something that we, we all go through. Uh, and so when you are trying to think like it's, you don't want to fake who you are. Cause then that brings up the imposter syndrome, but one when quick, you're being one, one quick <laughs> point, of, I found it interesting what you said, I hadn't even really thought about it, but even if you're very authentic, you kind of show up differently to the, the family, right. to the friend, to the, at work. So in some ways, I think that's part of that story and it, right. And it, but it's not that you're being an imposter by being more reserved when you're with family versus your ideal customer or something like that. Right. So tell me, how do you define imposter syndrome? Um, Turning this around, <laughs> asking you questions. Uh, mostly it's driven by the, the, a lack of progress is like the outward expression and the inward expression is driven by Uh, the internal questions that people ask around, who am I to do this? Will anybody buy my product? Um, Is my program's not good enough yet? Um, 
I, I just doubt that people will respect me or, you know, my, my people, my friends or family will think I'm crazy or something like that. It's just a, it's a right. string of negative self-talk. Right. So the way that I combat that myself um, and, and works well with clients is to build a body of evidence that those things aren't true. So going through the persona exercise, for example, and like you said, how do you show up with different people? Um, we'll start to build a body of evidence that I'm not a complete failure. And people do find what I say is valuable. And, oh yeah, I've helped this person. And this is how, this is how I did that. This is the role that I played in that journey that they were on. So you, you, it helps you again, self-awareness. Um, I, I'm just, that's part of my personality. I'm very naturally self-aware to like kind of annoying, <laughs> annoying degree. Um, but I'm also helping people to develop that self-awareness because it's really important as a business owner to be able to look at yourself objectively without all that negative self-talk and just observe how you work, how you show up. Um, that's one of the things I'm really good at when we're looking at people's methods is oftentimes because you're so creative and because you've been working with referrals and kind of working as things come to you, people don't think that they have a method or a system. They feel like it's just creative. It's inspired. It's in the moment. Um, I'm very intuitive. Like they, that's the kind of things that they say. And if they, if we actually zoom out and look at, okay, the last five clients you've worked with, there's usually a pattern that develops in the way you're asking questions, what questions you're asking, what, um, where they, you know, what aspects they struggled with. And those are all things that you can build into your course and you can start creating a system to like, I call it the method to your magic. You can start putting that a system around it that um, still allows you to be creative and intuitive and in the moment, but it gives a kind of tangible framework that, makes it easier for your client to understand. And again, that's like that caterpillar and butterfly language. So like second nature to you that when you explain what you're going to do makes total sense, but to the caterpillar, they're not so sure yet. So this kind of that, like that, um, finding the patterns and putting a framework around it really helps with that. That's awesome. Let's talk about brandable names. Um, Naming courses, naming coaching programs, choosing our URL, I guess. Uh, I see, let's say, how, how should I phrase this? I see a lot of bad names out there. I see um, where I can't even, I can't tell or, or it's too long or um, it doesn't sound fun or appealing. I don't know. How do, how do we create a brandable uh, uh, a name that's going to work? I know there's a lot that goes into it. It seems simple, but it's not. Right. And it's hard. And I... I've created a lot of bad names of things too. Yeah. So I was uh, laughing when you said, let's talk about brandable names. Cause naming is like, that's my, like, I hate naming. <laughs> it's <laughs> my least favorite thing, but I have like entire modules around naming because like I said, a lot of, in order to put something forward, you need to feel confident in things like your name and your logo and your, your website. Um, so yeah, once you have your, I just want to add, once you have your message, like you're talking about, like, it's kind of the next step. Cause if you're going to test yeah. the market, you need to invent the product before it's created. And you got to kind of have this vision and it needs a name, like a person has a name. So, right. 
right? Yeah, I'm, how do I'm we do use it? that analogy because that's exactly what I what I that's one of the methods that we use. Um, so what the process you just laid out is is actually really important to point out that the message becomes before the name. Because a lot of folks just try to figure out the name first, or they'll come to me like, is this a good name? I don't know, like depends on what's in the actual program or what you're trying to do. Like, I can't tell you if it's a good name or not. Um, so your name uh, needs to be fun. It needs to have uh, some kind of outcome attached to it. it. needs to be clear like what it is to a point because you have to keep in mind that a name on its own is very rarely used. There's usually a lot of context around it. So that's why you find people using, um, they use the acronym for the program. And because there's been so marketing, so much marketing around it, um, people like are indoctrinated into using that acronym. So the name matters less, like product launch formula. No one says product launch formula, everyone says PLF because there's been so much marketing around it and so much context built around it that um, the name is actually less important. It's more content that people are focused on. Just a funny thing there too. I even hear people talking about the modules within the course by like yeah. the, the like PLC one or whatever. Like it's yeah. uh, it's, it's crazy, but it makes sense. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's like a whole it's a whole other. <laughs> it's like you learn a language <laughs> doing that. Um, so one of the things, like I can't tell you how to name your course because that would be like a whole like hour long thing on its own. What I can tell you is you were saying it's kind of like a person, like it needs a name. There's a, there's a little test that I use with clients with their names and we call it the backdoor test. So um, I, read, I, I saw a video or read something once that, that when they were trying to name their child, they went outside and they yelled the name a hundred times because they wanted to envision themselves yelling to this child, this name, and they wanted to know if it would annoy them over. <laughs> I thought that was perfect. I was like, that's amazing. So your course, say it on its own, say it in a sentence, like, does it make sense um, if you're writing an email and like, does the name of the course, do you stumble over it when you're reading? Does it work in a sentence or does it like, sometimes people use, um, I don't have a good, uh, a good example. I don't wanna like bash someone's name on live. <laughs> uh, they use uh, word like, uh, tenses of words that don't really go together. Oh, yeah. Or like they'll use the same tense word again and again, um, like continuing communicating program. And it's like, oh, like, <laughs> so in my continuing communicating program, like that doesn't make sense. Um, but so you need to make sure that the words make sense in a sentence. The other thing is sometimes acronyms work, sometimes they don't. Um, so I try to keep the names as short as possible. Um, so like my programs are Map Your Message, Trailblazers Collective, The Branded Game. Like they're short. Those are all There's good names, by the way. What makes them good? Like maybe tell us the story of, of one of those examples because I think they're all just great. So yeah, they all came from very different places. The Branding Game has a really funny story um, because it's based on Candyland. Okay. Which was like my favorite game when I was a kid. And I had this just really, I was having a conversation with my mentor, who was Michael Port at the, he, my mentor Michael Port at the time. He's still Michael Port. He was my mentor at the time. Um, and he was talking about 
I should have lollipops in my brand. Like it was just this complete random conversation we were having. And I was like, it's really stupid at the time. But then afterwards I was thinking, I was like, you know what? What if I did this theme around Candyland? So I went to my business partner at the time. I was like, I have this crazy idea. I think we should create this program based on Candyland. And he was like, I'm in. So we called it Brandyland. Mm. What not else? Bad. Yeah, not no, not good. Um, so Brandyland is a website for people who really like brandy um, and actually have a problem with brandy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, okay, maybe not. So that's where we came up with the branding game. Um, and so it, it just kind of came up organically. And what's really funny is that I've wanted to change the name of that program for so long because it's from my old brand and it doesn't really fit what, I, what I'm doing now. I haven't been able to come up with another name for it. It's just kind of stuck. One of the things I like about it, I heard this concept like a decade ago of this term called wallet cl closing words. So in your, your messaging or copywriting. And so calling a course like a game is like, that sounds fun. That's like the opposite okay. of a wallet closing word. Like some people say the word school may have a negative connotation or it might feel like a lot of work or it might bring up past memories or whatever. Yep. Um, and then like what you have another one that's the collective, right? Trailblazers collective. Yep. And trailblazers. Like, be... I love trailblazing. I like being with yep. like a collective of cool people. It just works, you know? So it was called the trailblazers collaborative. So this is where okay. naming does make, does matter. Yeah called the trailblazers collaborative and the biggest objection i was getting was what if i don't want to work with other people there you go yeah and i was like but that's not what we're doing <laughs> <laughs> so i changed it to the collective and now i don't get that objection anymore you have a gorgeous like website and uh just your own branding and everything it's just so good like how does one get to this point I know some people really are gonna, good artist. <laughs> some people are going to hire it out. So you're, you didn't do all this by yourself? No, I did the, the layout and I built the site myself um, just because I'm a kind of a control freak with my own stuff. But I had an artist that did the art and he's, he's amazing. He actually does work for Starbucks and um, a couple other brands. But and when you say so, did, did the art, you have like photographs, you have like these cool drawings. Like what was the art? So... I hired him because my old brand, The Land of Brand, I was going to, um, that was all cartoon. It was all drawn, art, all illustrations. And um, my, the partner that did that, we parted ways. He retired from design. He's doing something else now. So I needed an artist to upgrade that brand. When I was working with this guy, though, we decided, all right, you know what? Let's get let go of The Land of Brand and brand me as Holly Chantel. But I hired him because I was looking for an illustrator. So I went on... Um, What's the website? Upwork. I found him on Upwork. I just went, found illustrators, found someone that I like the style of. And that's how we started the conversation. And um, so he developed the plan for that photo shoot. So all of this behind me, he, he put together a concept for all of this and had like, he like Photoshopped a picture together. This is what your office needs to look like. He picked out my paint. Wow. I actually I noticed that. I actually noticed yep. that. I don't, you can't see my office right now, but it's literally the colors of my brand. Like each wall is different color stuff, yep. but it's, I was like, I bet she's living inside her brand too. <laughs> I, am. I am. So yeah, he did. He designed my office. He, um, I have a peach wall over there that some of my photos are against a peach wall, um, which apparently is really hard to photo, <laughs> but my 
photographer did amazing. Um, so he, he planned all of that out and sent me basically a brand sheet that said, you know, this is the style, these are the types of photos, et cetera. And then um, he chose the fonts. And then I basically gave him a wireframe of, okay, here's what I need. And he just created certain images. So he did that banner. He did most of the banners at the top and then that geograph, the geometric pattern. That's my geometric, like he made that custom for me. Um, and I have a couple different versions of that. And that's really, that's really all that went into the branding is the photos, the geometric pattern, the fonts and the colors and everything else is just colors. Like you'll notice like the boxes on the homepage are just um, solid, solid colors. So there no, there's actually no graphics there. The illustrations are there because um, he did like logos for each of my programs. Um, but there's very few graphics that had to be done. That's cool. Can you give us a sense of how much working with a illustrator like that costs or like a price range or something? If somebody's like, Hey, I want that. Like, what should they be thinking yeah, of? It really, it depends. Um, so he was $75 an hour. And I think, I think the logo ended up being around 2,500. And I, so I did like three different logos with him because we did, he, we did three different brands. We did me, the branded game and the trailblazers collective. And um, so I think it was around $10,000 for three brands, including the website, graphics, et cetera. Um, so if you're doing just one brand, it would be less than that. I also have a designer that I work with that did the page for the branding game and trailblazers collective. So if you look at those, they have kind of a different look and feel It's because mm -hmm. it's a different designer. Um, she laid out, I think it was like 20 pages of copy, like in a Word document. It was insane. Um, she laid it out beautifully. I've cut it down since then. Um, but that, you know, you can find good designers for, I think she's like, she does VIP days and they're about $3,000 for a VIP day. What's which, a VIP day? So it's like eight hours of design work. So she can do probably like half a website. So I, if you're going to do a whole website, I'd plan like two VIP days, so like $6,000 she's really, really good. And I'm happy to share her information. She's is that, is that something, a VIP day that you're present with the designer or they're just do They're just giving you dedicated focus. I'm finding that a lot of designers are doing like their design work, like they have you batch everything and then they just devote a whole day to your project. And basically what they're doing is just checking in on certain things, like the top of the page. She's like, does this, does this look good? Am I on the right track? Because she doesn't want to finish the rest of the page if like there's something wrong with the colors or, or fonts, et cetera. Um, so I think she just was checking in like a couple of times throughout the day, just to see like how things were going and making sure that it was on track. So but I, I find a lot of designers do it that way. And I really like it because it's not like this long drawn out process. It's like, just done. <laughs> That's cool. I find that interesting that the, like get setting up the office, like was part of the project was, did, did they suggest that or you suggest that? He suggested that, that yeah. because apparently I have terrible taste. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody at some point realizes like everybody thinks you're a good designer or whatever. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure you're above average in most, but I, I had that realization myself and I know what that feels like. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I will not I will say I am not an interior designer. <laughs> <laughs> My office is the most put together room in the house if that if that helps. That's awesome. Well, I want to dig back into your 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 program. What's a message to market audit? So I guess that's for somebody that's already moving and struggling or, or hit a wall. Yeah. So audits can be used in a couple of different ways. Um, sometimes it's 
things aren't working. Um, tell me what, tell me, tell me what's going on. Like I'm doing all the things I'm marketing, I'm sending emails, but I'm still not getting the number of leads. I know I could be. Um, so in that case, we audit for that message to market match. And I'll point out, these are all the points that um, you're losing people or, you know, if we just change these words, you'll change your results. Um, and then sometimes it's just someone um, wants to know how they can improve. So I do a lot of webinar, like funnel audits where someone's running a webinar, but they might not be getting like the numbers that they know they could be. So I just audit that one funnel and I'm finding that people get about a 300% um, conversion, like upping their conversion about 300% after the audit. Um, so there's really kind of like you can't see your own stuff because you're so close to it. Just having an objective eye come in and just look at the messaging and how everything's structured and fresh eyes, like as I, I kind of look at like the buyer's arc, like kind of looking through that, that mindset and that point of view, I can kind of see what people are thinking at different points and um, what questions they're asking that aren't being answered that could make a big difference in conversion. That's awesome. What, um, I'm on your six figure plateau masterclass. What, what is the, what is the six figure plateau? Like what, what causes people to get stuck there? And first of all, it's great to celebrate that. I mean, Hey, what an achievement, but sometimes people want to go a lot further. Why do, why do people stall out at six figures? Yeah. So the six figure plateau is conceptually, it's about you, when you start your business, six figures is the goal, right? But then you find you get there and it's like, okay, it should be smooth sailing now, right? <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> because like I said, your business is going to continue to be an iterative process. You're going to outgrow things. Um, things are going to change. The market's going to change. and You have to continually adapt. So the six-figure plateau is where someone has hit that stagnation point, that upper limit that I was talking about earlier. Um, I find I, six-figure plateau is kind of like, a fun name, like it rolls off the tongue and, and people get it. But I find that sometimes it happens around $50,000, not even six figures. Um, so it can happen at any point that you just hit this plateau where you can't take on any more clients. You try to raise your prices, but people then are saying they can't afford it and your leads dry up. You might try to go from one-on-one -on -one to groups to start creating more leverage for yourself, but you're finding you're putting so much work into filling that group that it's actually dollars for hours less than if you were to book someone one-on-one. -on -one. So there's just all these different levels of complexity that come up when you start, when you reach your upper limit and you start trying to figure out how do I break through that next level? So that's why I traded the, I created the Trailblazers Collective because that's a longer term program where we find your message to market match up front and create your messaging and um, new website copy and like all those pieces. And then we, in, like that's the integration part. We integrate over six, 12 months so that you can um, dial the messaging in further, make sure that everything's getting implemented, you're developing new habits, we deal with all the mindset stuff that comes up as you're breaking into that next level. Um, so it's a really holistic, completely integrated program. Where do people kind of get stuck the most, do you think, with in terms of not, you know, kind of being having a fully integrated uh, you know, expert coach type business, like what are, what are, what is the most common missing pieces or lack of connection that's, that should be there that's holding them back? There, I would say there's, there's two, but then they really go down to one. So mindset is probably one of the biggest things. Like you are your own worst enemy. 
And um, why I say like there's two and it kind of goes down to one is because the second one is um, when you're trying, when you want to do something different and kind of take that next level or you'll continually get in your own way. So you'll have other ideas that take you off track and uh, you will unconsciously procrastinate because you're not really sure where to start. So you'll start working on what feels urgent and um, what is going to give you a win right now because this other piece is so like that new thing. You don't know if it's going to work. It's a lot of work to put together. I might as well just stay where I am. So you, that's where that upper limit stays. But it comes down to one because that's all mindset. Like, and that's why Trailblazers Collective, like that's my favorite program. Like if I could just do that all day, <laughs> I love it. Um, so it's me and I have a partner who is a, communications and human behavior expert. So she is really good at finding those blocks for like, we observe you basically as you're implementing, you're coming out of the calls and we're finding that we're identifying different patterns. And then she helps people. Um, once we identify the pattern, she helps offer alternatives and ways to overcome it. Um, and then I'm working on the like strategic piece, just making sure that it's not just their mindset that's holding them back that actually you know, the strategy sound, the messaging sound, um, they're showing up the way they want to be, those kinds of things. How about avoiding burnout or overcoming it? Yeah, I've been there. (laughs) 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 Three kids. (laughs) I I just find like coaches and and people that want to serve and help people and create impact in the world and and also build business, they're prone to burnout. So like, how do we... Yeah. There, I mean, there's so many different things that lead to burnout and um, it definitely impacts you because a lot of times, like it really comes down to to one thing in in the big scheme of things. It's reacting versus responding versus being in command. So there's like three different levels. And my part, I want to give credit where credit is due. Michelle, my partner, she's the one that teaches this piece. So I'm going to speak her words for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) So Michelle Quinn, um, she's the one that teaches this concept. So when you, uh, when you're in business and you have emails coming in and you have family to take care of, and you have just all these, all these demands on your time, you feel like when you start, it's like you're reacting to things. You're constantly putting out fires. You're responding, you're reacting to what's in the, um, uh, what's in your email, how your numbers were this month, how do I get more clients because I need to pay the bills and it's all reactive and it's all like happening to you. The next step is we get you to a place where you can respond to those things. So giving yourself enough breathing room to be able to make thought out decisions that aren't just in the moment and going to create more problems later, but because you have an outside perspective or because you have um, made certain choices in your business, you have that, that space to really start um, making intentional choices. And sometimes that has to do with how you're structuring your time, what you're saying yes to with clients. So setting expectations and boundaries with it during the sales process, not just with your clients, but during the sales process makes a huge difference because that's where the burnout happens. It's like, you can't keep up with all the demands, but if the demands weren't there, you could keep up with them. And some of those demands are not always um, not always necessary. So for an example, um, one of our trailblazers, 
he just week after week was not getting the pieces done that he wanted to for his business. And he kept saying, it's so important to me that I get this piece done. Like, this is my goal. This is my dream. I want, it was a webinar. I need this webinar done so that I can start marketing it. And so I asked him, well, okay, what is getting in the way? Like, why, what, what's going on? How are you scheduling your time? Cause he kept saying, I'm scheduling time to do it, et cetera. So he was doing um, the most productive time of his day he was giving to his clients because he wanted to be on for them and give them the best service, et cetera, which makes complete sense. Until I asked him, when you're working with clients, does it matter if you're tired? Do you, like most coaches, they turn it on when they're on the phone with a client, no matter where they are during the day. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Like I could do them in the afternoon and be completely energized and fine because it's completely different doing client work than it is doing your work. So we just had him flip-flop his schedule. So now his most productive time was spent on his projects, which are harder to execute. And then his afternoon time, um, when he's feeling a little bit more lagged, he devoted to clients, gave them the exact same experience they would have had already, but now he was getting his stuff done. So just those kinds of things. Um, in that case, he was reacting to the, like the, a perception that his clients needed a certain aspect of him and they and it and he didn't like once he took a step back he could make a more intentional choice so the third uh, level is being in complete command so that's where um, you have orchestrated your life your business your clients everything so that you are oh did my audio go out no you're there okay um it went out of my ear um so now you've orchestrated your business, your life, everything, so that uh, you're more in a um, director role rather than being in the weeds all the time. It doesn't mean you don't sometimes end up in the weeds, like if a lot of calamity happens at once, <laughs> but in general, you're able to handle the day-to-day -day and you've designed things so that you don't feel burned out. You're giving everyone the attentions they need and you, you find yourself in a place of balance. Wow, it's really cool. Any just uh, kind of tactical tip on how to transcend up to the command level? Like what was a big driver for you to feel more in command as opposed to reactive? Yeah, so for me, um, this was back in 2017 that I, I hit my low where I was completely burned out because um, I had a, uh, let's see. 2017. So my son, my second son was just under a year and I had, and then my older son was three. So I had like a toddler and a baby <laughs> and a business. Yeah. And I was, I was putting way too much pressure on myself. Cause I, I, uh, you know, foolishly went to the expectation of um, when I had kids, my business wouldn't change. Like I'd still have my goals. I'd still do everything I was doing found very quickly when I had my first son that that was not the case <laughs> and basically fought that for the first few years. <laughs> and that's why I'm burning myself out. So the, um, this is where it's hard to recognize for yourself, but like when you're feeling that burned out, something's got to give. And so that was when I actually started working with, with Michelle myself um, to work on those aspects and helping me kind of manage all of the demands on my time and expectations of myself, expectations from others, those kinds of things, and really just restructured, um, not just my business, because that part I was actually pretty good at. I'm good at restructuring and re redoing offers and like changing my business model. 
Um, and that's like, that's why I help other people do that. Cause integration, like that's, that's what it is. Mm. <laughs> like you're making those changes, but the mindset aspect was really, really important to um, understand how I was communicating to myself. So all that self-talk, uh, the expectations that I was setting with clients and how that could be creating some of that reactivity. And if I just shifted some of the onboarding or how the sales cycle was working um, to set those expectations up front that I wouldn't, I would have less problems. So there's like all just these like subtle nuances that when they all add up really creates a lot of space for yourself. So now I you know, work 20 hours a week, four hour days. Um, and back then I was doing that too, but it was painful. Now it's very easy. <laughs> it's like, I have plenty of time because I'm not biting off more than I can chew. And I know what my limitations are. And um, now I have three kids and, you know, one of them just turned two yesterday. So it's, it's something that once you have it into place, it can grow with you um, and really changes how, how your business looks like in a lot of different ways. Awesome. That's Holly Chantel. That's at hollychantel.com. Go check out the buyer's arc over there. Any final words for the people or other ways they can connect with you? Yeah. So, um, so glad everyone was listening. <laughs> Hope you got something out of it today. Um, and yeah, the, the buyer's arc is a really cool place to start. If you're looking at wanting to, um, sell higher ticket offers, if you find yourself reaching that upper limit, um, if you're having a hard time selling your courses, um, in that PDF that you can download, there's exercises, uh, questions to be asking yourself at each stage, examples of what type of content belong at each stage. So it's basically all the things you would need to kind of get started with implementing. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. You've dropped so many words of wisdom and uh, sharing your experience and everything. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. We should do it again sometime. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. Did you enjoy that episode? Tell your friends and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And I've got a gift for you over at lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Go to lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Keep learning, keep taking action, and I'll see you in the next episode.